Are you coming in? No, you want to go to the other door that's shut, which I'm not going to open for you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to close the door, but I'm going to push it so you can open it. How about that? Sound good? All right. Wow. Oh, God, she's like... <laughs> she cares about she cares about food. Mm-hmm. She cares about sleeping. She cares about going places that she wants to go now. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to be touched. <laughs> she's really not interested in being touched. No. <laughs> you can't go in the fucking door. <laughs> go on then. All right. Yeah. You I, I don't know why I'm stopping her going in this door. It's just a closet. Hold on. Oh, yeah. We're recording. Yes. <laughs> <Good. laughs> Hello again, and welcome to It Is Complicated a podcast about all the things that would be much simpler if we weren't different in so many ways and they become complicated. Well, the answer to every question is, it is complicated, uh, including I, the title of the podcast, which is, it is complicated because it is complicated. And it's my pleasure as always to say hello, Dr. J. Hi. I'm Dr. Hi. Oh, no, don't say hi back like that. I was about to do my introduction. I was, you were, fuck, all right, go on then. Hi, I'm Dr. J. I gave myself the job title Harbinger of Change. I work at a software consultancy called ThoughtWorks, and I got to give myself the gender transgressive non-binary genderqueer because I was lucky enough to be born in New Zealand. I am the future that all the queers want because I get to self-define. I'm also a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. If we ever do merchandise. It'll just say because branding. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's a t-shirt with because it's, branding. It's not going to have the actual brands no, on it. It's just going to have not. No, because, just because branding. branding. That's it. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody. My name is Josephine Baird, and I am an independent scholar, activist, and artist, occasionally performance artist and visual artist as well at the moment you can see my stuff upon the internet which is probably what you're listening to at this very moment and i like to think of myself as a <laughs> jay is helping me with my branding it's like doing you can't see this listener but jay is giving me hand signals which i believe is the international hand signal for because branding which is a sort of like sweeping motion no it was for queer without portfolio i was getting to it I was was trying to think of a good way to say it, but you've said that. Yes, I think of myself as a queer without portfolio. So if you enjoy what we're doing right now, please help us make more fabulous things by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash itiscomplicated, all one word. So, Dr. J, with your voice, would you like to tell me about voice? Well, mine for pretty much all the recordings that we've done so far has been really messed up because of hay fever, which puts a burr on the on your voice and to me makes it sound a whole lot squeakier and a whole lot not what I think my voice should sound like. I also come from a family where someone pointed out when I was a, a kid that my mum, my grandmother and me all spoke with a similar sounding voice, just three different pitches. And that always unnerved me because their voices were not ones that I wanted to sound like, if that makes sense. 
you know, I wanted that slightly more tenorish voice and I have this, which I can't do much with because hay fever. One of the weirdest parts of my voice is I don't notice that I have an accent until I hear it back. So um, one time when I was on stage at Bar Whatever, uh, I was talking it was one of the first times I was on stage and I got the mic and went to talk and I was like, who the fuck is this Kiwi talking? And realized it was me because I'd spent, I'd been in the UK for about a year or so and all the voices that I'd heard were British. So my brain had just adjusted that my voice must be British because that was all the voices that I heard. And suddenly when I hear it out from outside of my head, I'm like, who the fuck is this Kiwi and why do they speak so weird? And so squeakily, and all yeah. over the place. I really had a hard time with my voice. It was really, really difficult. And it wasn't just as a trans person. It was also as uh, someone who had moved country. The first time I really became aware of that was when I moved from Holland to the UK when I was nine years old. And I learned that my English accent wasn't an English accent. It was um, the kind of accent that a Dutch person can sometimes get when they're speaking English, because at the time, the only people who I heard speak English were my parents or American TV. And the Dutch accent is also quite nasal in the sense that it's sort of in the top of your nose. So it can sound very American. I came over to England. I joined a very, very, very prim, uptight British school, which I used to describe as Every British school you can imagine, it was that. (laughs) So just imagine one, that's the one I went to. And I had this quasi-American accent and I was bullied mercilessly for it. And it was horrible. And I didn't understand it at all. I didn't understand that the accent was different and I didn't understand why that was such a a source of derision and it was awful and I had really self-conscious about my voice from then onwards Mm. I also had unfortunately my voice break because I'm a trans person and unfortunately had to go through that puberty whilst in high school and uh, on the day that it broke I had a music lesson with a, a music teacher who had absolutely no empathy whatsoever and tried to get me to sing in front of the class whilst having a literally breaking voice, which if you've never gone through it, I can tell you is interesting. And that convinced me I couldn't sing. So I was really self-conscious about my voice. I was convinced I couldn't sing. And I tried to ignore my voice for many, many years. And I was very quiet and very withdrawn, of course, emotionally anyway, you know, but especially about my voice. It's taken a really long time to find any congruence with it whatsoever. And a few of those experiences... I'll go into here, but I don't want to overtake the whole podcast. Oh, no. I I mean, I can relate to that disconnect with your own voice. I stutter. I, you can hear it occasionally and I can always hear it. And it's one of those things of other people say, oh, I never even noticed. And I will point to a spot in the recording where you can literally hear me stop and you can hear me struggle for the next sound for what feels to me like an eon and it's like half a second or so and it leads to some unnatural pauses in my speech pattern it leads to almost a jazz speech pattern rather than a standard because i'm a trying to think of the words ahead and spot any hard consonants but also if i see a hard consonant i know that i need to get past it i stuttered like that as far back as i could remember apparently It's a nervous thing and it comes up when kids are about three or four. And unfortunately, my my dad had had the same. And 
things had not gone well for him when he was a small child with the stutter. And when I did the same thing, that caused a lot of stress for him, which was then passed on to me that this wasn't something that should happen. So it was like, don't stutter, speak properly. And that extra tension would make the stutter worse. I'm talking about something at work called inclusive teams deliver. Now there's a 50% chance that I will stutter on the deliver in that sentence. And I just have to deal with it. And it's been one of the hardest things to let people know that I stutter, to be okay with stuttering, to understand that if I stutter, people are not automatically going to think I'm stupid. But when you're a kid who stutters and when you're nervous and you stutter as badly as I did, which was bad enough that they sent me to speech therapy and I hated speech therapy. I hated being made to just make sounds over and over because they weren't addressing the underlying cause. They were just telling me to make sounds different and assuming that I couldn't say hard consonants because I, because I don't know, something in my mouth wouldn't make hard consonants. Like, no, I can make hard consonants. The moment I'm under stress, it's going to go really badly. And it wasn't until I was well in my late twenties that I met through a church that I went to, someone who was a speech therapist who basically turned to me and said, yeah, you've got an iceberg stutter. It's really common. And I was like, what? And they were like, you're stuttering. And it was brilliant. They, they basically took me through years of speech therapy in 15 minutes. It's like, your worry about your stuttering is ginormous. Your actual stuttering is tiny. And one of the ways to get past it is to teach yourself that stuttering is okay. And it's okay to have those non-fluency moments so go and stutter when you get a burger just get a burger and stammer just just let the brakes off your speech and stammer as hard as you can and I did and the person still got me a burger and I was like oh and they were like yeah because nobody cares you'll just be somebody who's got a bit of a stutter somebody who's just having a hard time saying the words and 99.9% .9 of the people in the world are not the kids at school who are going to tease you about it. And that allowed me to start to develop a relationship with my voice that was not about being shy and ashamed of it. I think some of it is realizing the trauma that you go through as a kid over your voice. The kids could sense that I was different. They didn't know what to call me, but I started, therefore they'd pick on the stutter. I can empathize absolutely because when I was young, my accent was what was being chosen to be the difference that was being noted. But I don't think it was just the accent. It was just they knew I was different and they needed something in order to latch onto that notion and to taunt me with. Because, I mean, I was bullied in Holland as well. And it wasn't over the way I talked. It was just anything else, you know, and it was horrible. And then when I was in England, I really didn't know how to fight back against this. One of the things I, I think I ended up doing was learning how to affect an accent that was very similar to theirs. And the weirdest thing was, by the time I got to high school, we had an exchange student who had an American accent. But because they were very cool, they were lauded for their accent. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is so weird. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so it's not the accent, it must be me. 
I know that sounds like an awful thing, but I think it actually is true. And I actually mean that in the sense of I'm not the problem. It was just that they noticed I was different. And because kids are conditioned into noticing and ostracizing that, and because teachers and parents were not stepping in in any way, it seems to be that's just the way the culture, especially at that school and in England was, me being ostracized for my difference seemed to be perfectly laudable and reasonable. And so, you know, it was my accent, and then it was the way I walked and the way I was. And of course, it was about me being mm-hmm. a girl. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, they didn't have the word for that. And had they known it, I'm sure I would have gotten that instead. And eventually, of course, I did, just from adults when I was in university instead. And yeah, so it was my accent to begin with. And then I learned how to change it. So I have the ability, I'm not going to do it right now. I might in a minute, I don't know. I have the ability to change my voice quite radically. And I've used that uh, as a performer. It's very useful to affect different accents or different voice styles for different characters. It's useful. I've had to learn to do it on the phone because one of the worst things that I've experienced as a trans person is having a voice that's incongruent with my gender on the phone and having people literally not believe me when they're asking for me and they hear my voice and say, well, I can't be Josephine. You're... And they would insist that I was a man. And so I have to affect a phone voice, which <laughs> is quite different to the one you're hearing right now, listener. So I have the ability to change my voice. And I also went to voice training, but that time much older. And it was for people who wanted to affect in a voice that sounded a bit more like what cis women generally have. And I learned a hell of a lot doing that. Most of it had absolutely nothing to do with me being able to affect a voice that, that read much more as a cis woman. We actually ended up, and I loved the person who taught me this, because we ended up having these philosophical conversations about what makes a voice that reads a cis. It's fascinating because she taught me a bunch of things and several of the things are not what you'd expect. For example, pitch is only a very small part of it. Being high pitch or low pitch makes very little difference. And it's got much more to do with the resonance and the variation in tone and pitch. That's the difference. It's not being baritone or very high. Makes some difference, but not as much as you think. Much more to do with the uh, at the back of your throat or how you resonate your voice. So here's a few things that is going to make you really pissed off if you're a feminist like what I am and Dr. J is. One of the ways to make your voice read more as a cis woman is to vary the pitch as you talk. So you go up and you go down and you go up and down all the way throughout your speech. But you should always try to end on an up note, not on a down note. So if you end your sentence like this, rather than ending your sentence like this. Whereas New Zealanders do that a lot. And in English, it sounds like you're asking a question. Yes. My point to my speech therapist was, so what you're saying is that cis women, in order to sound like cis women, they have to constantly be asking a question, not making a statement. So they're not sure. Because if you're making a statement, you end like this. But if you're asking a question, you end like this. So it's always slight intonation up because you're not certain. You're not making a statement. So you are feminine. And it was like, and she was like, yeah, I guess so. And I was like, oh, that's nice and fucked up, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, yes, it is. And there's more. <laughs> I, have, I have lots of tidbits like that. Because of course, in that particular therapy, they didn't just teach you how to resonate and change your voice. It was also about what words you use and when and how. And here's another one that's going to make you scream. Your voice will immediately start sounding more cis, as in cis woman, if you smile while you talk. My theory was, 
is that because we're so used to making women smile when they're talking that we now hear the resonance that that makes with your mouth and think of it as cis female? To which the answer was, uh, yeah, <laughs> from, oh, the, God. from the therapist. She was like, yeah, that's probably what it is. That's because frightening. It, because she said the research is really interesting. She said they've done research on this to say that hearing the difference between genders by voice is actually extremely difficult. That when you have voices that are sort of in the margins, it's very, very hard to tell. And she said, yeah, there are certain things that will change how someone will read a voice for sure. That's what they teach when they're teaching trans people to speak different way is to how to alter those elements. But she said, you can get to a point where you can have a very gender neutral sounding voice or gender other gender sounding voice. Because she said one of the things that they were doing now, thank goodness, was that they were asking the people who were coming in for training what kind of voice they might want. It used to be very (laughs) prescribed because I only went out of interest because I didn't have to, thank goodness, because I only started transitioning that way significantly after I transitioned other ways because I didn't want to go through these prescribed treatments because it used to be that trans women were taught to speak a very particular way and it wasn't particularly nice and you had to speak that way everywhere and always otherwise they weren't going to let you transition basically it was horrible but now especially where I went they were like no we ask we ask where you'd like your voice to be and then we work with you to create a program to get your voice where you want it. And what was interesting was her telling me that, yeah, there are there is a range that we can create that will make your voice almost unreadable. Oh, wow. And I was like, that's interesting. And she said, because it's about factors. It's no, there is no one way or another. Hmm. She said, the, the research they've done is they change voice pitch, they change voice resonance, they do all sorts of things. And as you hear me speak, you should hear some of those change to the point where it almost would be hard to read. (laughs) I've learned to do that, but I don't do it. And here's the reason why. God, this went everywhere. But here's the reason why. My wife, dear Effie, has a hearing impairment and she can't hear me if I speak a certain way. And that has to do with resonance, not to do with pitch, to do with resonance. So weirdly, when I started to speak in a way that would pass more as cis, um, she couldn't hear me as well. (laughs) So. I just said, well, fuck it, I'm not going to do it then. <laughs> like, I'll just keep the resonance. So weirdly enough, I've kept the resonance for her. And I, I just can't be bothered to change it anywhere else. Of course, there are some voices that are very, very clearly gendered one way or the other. Brian Blissett. Yeah. <laughs> yes and no. But listen to his voice. He has incredible range. Hmm. Right? It's volume. It's it's the bellowing. Bellow, yeah. And he bellows from the diaphragm, right? Yes. And then so voices are odd because they're... The other thing, God, I'm, so, I'm oh, sorry. No, no, no. And, and part, of this, part of this is... No, part of this <laughs> is sitting here listening with, with cans on, with my eyes shut at various points, listening to Josephine. There are times where I literally can't hear the difference between you doing one thing and you doing another thing because yeah. of my tone deafness and realizing that there's entire cues that are happening that I might miss when it comes to gender with people, but also that I might miss with the way that people read my own gender. So what happens with me is I turn up somewhere and in my scruffiness, people assume I'm a man because that's the default. I'm about average height, look like a very bright hobbit. And then the moment that I speak, there's that confusion And so I always made the joke of like, I must have the most girly womanly voice ever, which I don't think that I do. It's just, it makes people, it becomes incongruent with the, with what people have thought. 
So that is about me understanding that my voice isn't a little sweet girly voice because that's been the assumption that I've always made. Josephine is again smiling slash laughing in recognition of am, of this yeah. of this madness of not being able to hear your own voice enough to understand how other people hear it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing because there isn't that reflection. And I really do empathize because one of the things that I learned going to that speech therapy was one, she insisted I could sing and not that singing teacher thing of like, everyone can sing because everyone, <laughs> no, but everyone can. It's, it's just tunefully. About, it's tunefully. Well, it's no, always it's, the moment. It's you've, more about, you've, you've heard me sing. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know, but I mean, she. There, I've heard this said, and I do believe it, that everyone could learn to to create singing in their own way. Because oddly enough, the singers I love can barely sing. I love the way that all of yeah. the singers that you love have ridiculously yeah. deep voices. Jacques Brel, ridiculously deep voice. Oh, the ports of Amsterdam. Exactly, and uh, I've heard you sing that. Tom Waits. Yeah, I can sing that. Now, I assumed that that was the range of my voice. This person who I adore showed me now when you do this some of you might know this listener if you go and get voice training as a trans person sometimes what they might do is they will stick you in a soundproof booth with a pair of headphones on and a microphone set at a very specific distance from your head in order to record your full range and she had me you know going as low as i can to as high you know like doing that and she kept pushing me higher and higher and higher and she said at one point she was like hmm and I was like, what's going on? She's like, trying to find where your voice breaks. And I was like, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, there's a, a point in the voice normally when you go up in register, there'll be a little break when you go up to the next octave, mm. right? So uh, 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 they're like that. I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done. I know. She was like, she's like, you should sing. <laughs> and I said, no, I shouldn't because <laughs> you don't want to hear it. And she was like, no, no actually you should sing because you don't have that and that's quite unusual and I was like really and she was like you can sing you don't need to be self-conscious and that moved me actually Mm. I haven't done anything with it but that is the case and so she taught me that I can do it whether I want to do it is another thing Mm. I can change my voice I can work really hard to make my voice sound a certain way do I want to Well, my wife wouldn't understand me if I did it all the time, which would mean I'd have to do it some of the time, which is also viable. And that's something she taught me that I thought was really great because it was about, she said, they used to teach trans women, especially to affect that voice all the time, never change it. And she said, now we teach it like, you know, you can use that voice on the phone if that's when you're nervous, or you can use it out when you're out and not when you're home, you know, whenever you want, it's a tool. And I really liked that idea So I learned a hell of a lot from this person. I'm very grateful for the time Mm. we had. And I use absolutely none of it. (laughs) But But it taught me so much. But you do, because I bet when you're on the phone, you put on your phone voice. Oh, God, yeah. No, I absolutely do. Actually, I lie. You're right. I do use it, but it is for the phone. And um, you you also, I I also know that you have the welcome voice and you have the future Josephine voice. That's true. I do have my radio voices. So I can try. Let's see if I can do this on them. So yeah, there's Josephine of the future here, <laughs> and there's hi and welcome, there's that one, mm-hmm. and then there's me talking to Jay, <laughs> which is this one. 
Whereas, and, and then there's the filthy laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I am not sure that I can do more than one voice. I know I put a lot of effort into softening my accent and trying to make sure that things are as understandable as possible, speaking slightly slower, which makes me sound so much more British in some ways than I originally did. I developed this habit of picking up the accent of those around me. And it's a very human thing to do. We all do. Yeah, you're trying to fit in because you don't want to be different. And Mm. it's that horrific thing where we're trying to avoid being bullied or being ostracized. And it's not very nice. And I wish it wasn't. I know that class and accent are massive Mm. in the UK. So one of the things that my dad was incredibly pleased about was that I never sounded like him because he spoke with a Scouse accent. So I grew up with a very strong Kiwi accent and a very strong, well, what I thought at the time was a very strong Scouse accent. And I melded something in between the two. So I, I don't say words exactly like my father, but I don't say them exactly like my mother either. I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle there. I always had what one of my friends joked was a bit of an academic New Zealand accent, which basically means I sound a little bit more middle class than working class, but not quite. The thing about British English, especially, is that, as you rightly say, accents are very much not only a marker of where you're from, but definitely what class you're in. Mm. Because there are words pronounced a certain way in order for them to to know that you're part of the in-group, right? Yes, so, it's a shibboleth. Yeah, so Magdalen, Magdalen College, Oxford. Not spelt Magdalen. No, spelt Magdalena. Exactly. So that's how you know if they're there, if they're from there or not. Spelled very, very differently to the way it's said. And that is really, really messed up because it's, and that happens a lot in English culture. And that's the thing that I think you were talking about is the notion of culture and accent and where it's from. When it comes to gender, that becomes complicated again, because of course the intersection between race, class, um, location, <laughs> geography, all intersect with one's apparent gender, which is like communicated visually and then auditorily and hourly, as my British uh, teachers used to say, an hourly experience. It's this in-group, out-group mentality that is, I mean, it's prevalent with all sorts of things, but with voice, I think it's particularly tricky because it's something that for the most part, people don't reflect on changing. People will have one voice, they'll assume that they can't do much about it or won't want to do much about it, and they keep it. And sometimes it can be really connected to identity, especially if you identify a lot with your voice and where it comes from and who you are, which I think is is really important and really valuable. But then for folks like yourself, and especially in my case, I've been presented with the challenge of First off, being bullied because of it, then being misread because of it, then being required to change it, and then being asked not to in some ways. And landing on the question that I came to with my voice, which was, what do I want? And it's really difficult for me to answer that question. What do I want from my voice? It's not something that most people, I think, think about. They don't reflect on it. You have no reason to, or you do it unconsciously. Most people don't consciously consider changing their voice to match something that they think is internal. My voice reflects who I am as a given, because of course it does. 
when you're transitioning, as I did, at least in the way that I chose to, that becomes questioned. Does my voice reflect the gender that I believe I have? Well, I am a trans woman, an out trans woman. Does my voice sound like an out trans woman? <laughs> it sounds like you. Would you know? Yeah, exactly. It sounds like me. In that case, changing it, would, would that change me? And being asked to change it or feeling in danger when I can't change it, changing it in those moments, do I mean, do I'm negating myself somehow? So if I'm trying to, if I'm in a place where I'm worried that my voice will make me read as a trans woman and therefore expose me to violence, if I were to change my voice in those circumstances, do I somehow negate who I am? Am I somehow selling myself out? Am I, am I even uh, betraying myself in some way? Or am I just trying to get through some situation and not get, you know, hurt? Mm. And, and where's the line between those two things? It, it's, it's very difficult. And it's been a question I've really wrestled with because my partner, she said to me, well, you know, if you take the resonance out of your voice, I might not hear you as well, but you need to be you. And I want you to have the voice you want. And I had to think about it. And I was like, no, but I want to be heard by my wife. <laughs> and, and I like that I'm heard by my wife. And I really like that she sees my voice as me, like you just did, Jay, that I sound like me. That makes me really happy, <laughs> right? But what would it sound like to choose a different voice? Would I still be me? And oh, that's a mind blender. Exactly. But that's why it's complicated because, of course, I'd have to think about, and that's the other thing, when you are presented with the option to choose your voice, as trans people sometimes are and often are, how do you make that choice? Because, <laughs> you know? but, but also changing your accent is changing the way that you make sounds. And one of the things that I'm aware of, and I'm not always consciously aware of, but I am aware of when I do like public speaking and things like that, I'm aware of trying to slow my voice down, trying to drop it just ever so slightly so that it's got, I put a little bit more power behind it. It's not so squeaky. I don't make it nasal. Um, and that I slow it down. And I know that if I do those three things, people can hear me clearly. And that's what I want when I'm talking on stage or delivering a presentation in a, in a boardroom or running a workshop or something, um, which is slightly different to the voice that I might have when I am just making coffee in the kitchen. Quentin Crisp almost describes it a little bit in terms of who you are and your personality as like a graphic equalizer. You're not changing who you are. You're just adjusting the volume on various parts of yourself. And in doing those small voice changes, I'm not changing who I am or my voice. I'm ensuring its legibility for as many people as possible. I really like that notion of like, you're not changing who you are. You're just emphasizing certain elements because you need to. And being aware of that, and especially about being aware of the codes that you're using and when and why, especially, I think can give the answer to most questions. Because, for example, when I was in school, in a British school where things were pretty violent and things were pretty like, you know, the differences were very stratified and class and identity and rigid rules and being really fucking awful was, was really codified. Learning how to speak with a received pronunciation saved me from certain things, it, but it didn't make me that class in my heart or that person in mm. my heart because I don't know who that is. 
I don't know who that person is. I can play with it and I can make fun of it. And we can go back to the notion of satire there. And like, mm. I can talk like this and we can have fun. <laughs> you know, and I can be satirizing that particular person. And I can use that on stage to make a point, that voice, or to suggest something. And I can change my voice on the phone when I need to get my banking done or I need to get someone to not hassle me. I can be very quiet in certain places, knowing that I will be read more as a cis woman if I feel like I'm in danger. And on this podcast, I can learn that my voice is just like this when I'm speaking to my friend Jay <laughs> and that that makes me feel well. And I don't have to employ those tricks quite the same way. Not any of those circumstances are any less me but they are aspects of me that I've had to use and tools that I've had to use in order to achieve certain things, some of which doesn't sit well with me, mm. you know, um, some of which can be funny, some of which, you know, like we can make fun of accents that are, are silly because of their pomposity. But yeah, I'm very keenly aware of the messages I'm transmitting with my voice and learning to feel comfortable with the one that I have and having affected it slightly in order to make people read me the way I want them to very much like clothing options. I've had to make a similar choice. And how do you feel? Is that something you can recognize? Is it something you can empathize or relate with? So I know that the voice that I have when I talk to you here, it's pretty much the voice that I have when we're talking normally. I'm not doing a radio voice or anything like that. I literally can't. I can't maintain any kind of huge variation in my voice, especially at the moment. It's so full of hay fever. What What I am aware of is when I do the professional voice, and some of that is about inclusion for me, but it's also inclusion for other people. And it's about making sure that everyone has a shared sense of belonging. Um, and a shared sense of being able to understand it. But I do like the idea of knowing what you're playing with. It's about feeling comfortable. It's about feeling that comfort, that that ability to just be yourself. And I won't say my voice makes my heart sing because it's a squeaky, croaky voice on a sore throat with a blocked, a fairly blocked nose at the moment. So I won't say my voice makes my heart sing, but being understood when I talk, that makes my heart sing. Having people listen, having people pay attention, that is amazing. My voice is just the tool in that. It's not because of my voice that people listen to me, but I use my voice to make it easier for people to listen to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I get that. I don't know if my voice makes my heart sing either. I'm still very self-conscious of it, which is quite funny considering we're literally doing a podcast. I know. I love this. Um, Two people who are so self-conscious about their voices who don't like them are doing a podcast where they both have to listen to them talk multiple fucking times. The number of times I have to double check. Josephine's like, I've done a draft and I'm like, oh, fuck, I've got to listen to me again. Oh, please. There's one of us, that's not you, who has to listen to it and edit it, which means listening to the same passage over and over again and taking out even little ums or breaks or things like that in order to make it flow. No, 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 no. One of us has to listen to it. 
to our voices a lot. And actually that person likes your voice very much, Dr. J. And I mean that genuinely. What I love about your voice is that your you-ness comes across. It's not just about you say your, your heart sings when you, people understand you what you're saying. I would say to you, well, I understand what you're saying, but I also understand something about you as a person. You have this infectious laugh, this, this joy, and your, your tone changes when you're excited or you're emotional or you're expressing things. And it's a, there's a deep you-ness of that. And what you said to me about my voice, which makes me really moved, is that sense of you are communicated. It's not just about the ideas you're sharing or the phrases that you want to be comprehended. It's the you-ness. And I think that's one of the things that for people who've had to change their voice or feel that they need to change their voice in order to make themselves more congruent or to be accepted. Or to be understood. Or to be understood can cause dissonance for them between the notion of being understood and their sense of self and of their sense of self being accepted through their voice. It's taken me a tremendously long time to come to any sense of peace with my voice. So yeah, doing a podcast with you is one of the least likely activities I can think of a few years ago of like, no, that probably sounds like hell to me, not for your voice, but for hearing mine. Um, But there is this notion of connectivity, of common ground, of you-ness and me-ness that I really enjoy doing this. And that um, makes my heart sing. And that makes my You've heart You've literally sing. made my heart sing by saying that. Well, then, job done. Absolutely. What are we going to talk about next week? Yeah, what? Nothing going on, right? No one said anything stupid this week? Good. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Dear listener, we record these things sometimes quite well in advance. (laughs) Just yesterday. Jesus fucking Karen. (laughs) May have said something. Well, something. 3,000 somethings. That essay is about 3,300 something words. 3,700. She's such a bad writer. Such an appalling constructor of the language. And no, we're not going to talk about her next week. Or... Ever. Why? Why? Because I'd rather not. The not. <laughs> Please join us again next next week. <laughs> Shit. I'm going to do another take. This is the voice episode. <laughs> Please join us again next week, dear listener, when we will be discussing something completely unrelated to British authors who can't seem to shut up.